Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Hi, friends. Amy Irvine here. Today's podcast is slightly different than what we have been doing in the past. It's just me. And we are going to be talking about the impact of taxes on the different phases of retirement. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And as always, we say sit on back and sip your favorite glass of wine. You're going to need it with all the facts and figures I'm going to be throwing at you. If you have any questions about any of the information you hear in this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, You know, it is very technical in nature and uh, we don't mean to throw so much information at you that it's confusing. We just want you to know that there's some questions out there that you probably want to ask. So sit on back, sip your favorite glass of wine and listen to this edition of Wine and Dime. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now, on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Hey, podcast listeners, Amy Irvine here, flying solo today. Hey, I thought we'd take this opportunity to talk about um, how taxes can affect your growing vineyard as you approach retirement. I know this is not my typical podcast, uh, but I thought it's a change. Um, Here it is January. Here it is July. I mean, um, and we're, we're just changing things up just a little bit. So I'm going to be talking today about a couple of different topics, and we actually might end up making it into a a series. Uh, So please give us your feedback if you really like it. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a presentation for Cornell Cooperative Extension, and it was on the four stages of tax planning and retirement. We talked about how Social Security benefits would be taxable, how health care and Medicare benefits are affected by your income tax bracket, and the importance of building portfolio buckets, and even touched base on the sandwich generation. So every dollar that we receive in retirement, as I said in the um, session, has a consequence. Basically, it affects the power of our Social Security benefits, it potentially increases the health care costs, and the taxability of those various buckets that I mentioned. So here's a little bit of a brain teaser that goes along with this. 
And I know if you see the slides, it makes a world of difference probably in what I'm about to say. So we are going to make these slides available within our show notes if you're interested. And we are also going to be recording this for a video that we're going to have on our website. But here's the brain teaser. Let's assume you're Bill and you're retired and you have an income bucket of about $4,200, which is, by the way, a 22% tax bracket. And this bucket includes $38,000 in IRA income plus $25,000 in Social Security benefits. Then he taps his IRA for an extra $1,000 for a concert road trip. How much do you think you'll actually owe on those taxes? So remember, I said Bill was in the 22% tax bracket. If you're doing the math, you're thinking, oh, well, maybe it's $2,200 or $22, I'm sorry, $220. Hmm. We'll see if you stay tuned. So I'm going to give you a hint, though. The answer is not. $220. It's actually 407. So 40.7% tax rate on that income. So it's the craziness of our tax code, right? So this, when we talk about social security benefits, a portion of our social security benefits are taxable if our income exceeds certain limits. So perhaps in this situation, his income was over that particular limit. It doesn't make sense. And if you listen further, you're going to learn how that extra $1,000 equates to an extra $407 in taxes or a 40% tax increase, actually 40.7. So there's four stages when we talk about um, retirement. Oh, and by the way, you know, I always say to people, please feel like this is just general education. You should always seek professional tax guidance, somebody who knows your situation more than we do and can dig into the details because it is a very new complex world. Taxes in accumulation phase is very different than the taxes in the distribution, which is the spending phase. Often those people have no more children or they can take child tax credits or they don't have a mortgage interest deduction or not a very large one, or the income would be tax-free from employer-paid medical insurance and contributions. That's not the case anymore. So we we now have um, taxable Social Security, your required minimum distributions, as you'll hear me call them RMDs. Uh, Medicare has different income limits and what you'll pay. And then, of course, there's long-term care. So it's a very, very complex world now. And people don't often see that or expect that to be so confusing, right? We, we hear that it's supposed to be simple, but in actuality, it's very different. So when we talk about um, developing a solution around this, you'll often hear me, if you've ever heard me speak publicly or talk to other people, we need to understand the different types of taxes that you're associated with. So let's dive into the four stages of retirement. 
So there's pre-retirement is the first stage. And many people are working now until their 60s, even into their 70s. But um, often we'll say pre-retirement is like 50 to 60. And again, this can vary by person and job and all that sort of thing. But those are the works and saviors. That's what we call them. And then early retirement is in your 60s or 70s. If you obviously, if you retire age 60, that's early retirement to age 70. And sometimes it's older than that. And we call those the go-go years. So you're newly retired, you're constantly going places, you're enjoying yourself. And then there's middle retirement, which is the go slow years. And then there's late retirements, which is the go slower or the no-go years in some cases. And so there's those four different stages of retirement. And the don't get hung up on the ages because for every person, it's a very different phase of retirement. I mean, I hope to be working still in retirement if my mind will let me, um, but I probably won't be working as hard as I am right now. So what gets in the way of a successful retirement? That's a question that I get very often. And a lot of times it's something as simple as inflation that people didn't necessarily plan for inflation. It also could be that we live much longer. Think back you know, 30 years ago to the cost of a, a gallon of milk or a gallon of gas or you know, if you had to go to the emergency room. Now think what the costs are today. They're much larger and, you know, as I mentioned, people are living far beyond what we expect them to when Social Security first came out. The life expectancy age was close to 65. And so people weren't, weren't um, receiving Social Security for a long period of time or weren't in retirement for a long period of time. And that's not true anymore. In fact, people, you know, really enjoy it. There's a whole fire movement that's um, started up to be financial and independent and retire early so that people can enjoy a a fair portion of their lives. But many people underestimate how much money is actually needed to maintain that pre-retirement standard of living. And who wants to see their standard of living drop? Nobody wants to see that. So, But they underestimate that. And that's something that we work very hard to get a very good number on when we're working with our clients. Um, there are also healthcare costs. Um, you know, that's something that it's a, such a challenge to plan for. It's the 10,000 pound gorilla that's in the room when we talk about what are healthcare costs going to be. Well, are you going to be healthy uh, throughout your entire retirement? Or are you going to have some medical problems? Um, are you going to take any medications? Are there going to be Medicare and insurance costs that will likely keep rising? So, that's the one that's probably one of the most challenging things to, to plan for. Most anything else we can adjust, but healthcare is healthcare and the price around that is going to remain pretty constant. So now at this point, you might be thinking, oh, so what's the first thing I need to understand about retirement and taxes? Um, well, we believe that the first thing that you need to understand is um, you have to know what your after-tax retirement savings picture looks like before retiring. We call this practicing. So we actually say to people, calculate. Let us calculate what you know what you want to live off in retirement, and then practice living off from that for about a year. Let's see how it feels. Uh, what can you cut back? What can you add? What what does it feel like to live off from that pre-retirement income? But you need to know exactly what that looks like. So if you're mar- married filing jointly, you also need to know what tax brackets you're in and what ta- tax brackets you'll be in after you retire. And then 
at that magical age of 70 and a half, remember, you have to take money if you're not already from your retirement accounts. And for a lot of people, that actually puts them in a different tax bracket because they may not be living up from that income. And the cumulative after-tax distributions can be much greater if you can play the game of uh, budgeting out when your distributions are going to take place, because if you if you're in a high tax bracket, that does mean that your distributions count less towards your ordinary income, so your take home pay is less, basically. Um, so now you might be thinking, okay, my accounts may not be worth as much as I thought because of taxes and you know insurances and all that kind of things. So what's the one thing that you can understand and creating your tax retirement strategy. Well, you need to understand that Social Security and Medicare have their own tax traps and you need to plan for them. So for um, for Social Security, uh, and let me go back to the example that I gave for the, the brain tease where I said Bill took that extra $1,000. If IRA income is... 38,000 and then he took another extra 1,000 and his social security benefits remain the same. That's 25,000 each. Well, his AGI went from 56,525 to 58,375. Don't get hung up on these numbers. Um, just kind of listen through. But the taxable income change was um, from 42 to 44. And then the income tax was 52. Uh, and versus 56. So the actual increase in income from that scenario um, one to two was $1,000. That's the actual increase, right? He took an extra $1,000. But the AGI and the taxable income both went up by 18,000, or excuse me, $1,850. So it wasn't just an increase of 1,000 over 1,000. And that's because Social Security is taxed up to 85% of your Social Security benefit can be taxed. And there's a, there's a, a rising bracket that if your income starts to go, what they call provisional income starts to go over a certain level, more of it is taxed at the 85%. And in the situation that I gave before, basically that's what happened to Bill. So more of his Social Security became taxable as uh, he took that extra $1,000. So, you have to be really careful about that particular trap. And remember that you can also maybe have some semi-retirement um, income that we have to take into consideration. And, and it all depends on the different approaches that you take to retirement. So, you could completely retire. Some people are in semi-retirement and only working a couple hours a week. Um, some people retire and do their passion job, meaning that they they just absolutely love. It's not going to earn them much, but they absolutely love it and they're going to do it anyways. And then some people just retire and volunteer. But each of those different strategies can play into how your Social Security is taxed. And it's important to understand that. Um, so just so you know, Social Security benefits are calculated using the highest 35 years of earnings. So after age 62, you can still increase Social Security retirement, especially if they're replacing a zero or low earning income years. Um, we find that often in older individuals right now that may have stayed home and raised kids, both male and female. And if they're working into their 60s, then they're replacing some of those years where their income was zero. 
You also have to be really careful if you take Social Security early and continue to work because your benefits could be reduced. One dollar of benefit can be withheld for every two dollars earned over uh, $17,640 for 2019. So that is withheld uh, back from your benefits calculation at at uh, at the time that um, your benefits are being received, but then they are given back to you at full retirement age. So it's not like it's truly lost. It's just that during those um, years prior to full retirement age, um, if you earn over that amount of money, just expect your social security to be reduced. So even if you are working part-time, you're still paying into social security and it only increases your benefit if it's one of your top 35 years or if you're replacing those zeros. So just be aware of that too. Like it's not there um, unless it's not beneficial to you unless it's replacing some of those zero or lower income in years. I also mentioned that the that Medicare has its own tax traps as well. So um, the f- the funny thing about Medicare, there's this thing called IRMAA, and it's Income Related Monthly Adjustment Amount. So that's what that stands for, IRMAA. And if you earn over certain dollar amounts uh, each year, uh, eighty five thousand for singles, one hundred seventy thousand for married couples, then there could be an adjusted amount that you have to pay, an increased amount that you'll have to pay. If you don't earn over that, then there there's not going to be an issue. But there's also um, there's various limits that you have. So. For example, if you earn between, if you're married filing jointly, there's um, one, so zero to 170, 170 to 214, 214 to 267, 267 to 300. And it, with each increase, and then there's 300 to 750,000, and then 750,000 and up. The difference between um, earning $169,099 in your premium and $170,001 makes a $54 increase in your monthly Medicare premium uh, simply by earning that extra $2 that I mentioned in that example. So, there is no like phase in a point, you know, point. It just simply goes from um, $135.50 in 2019 up to $189.60 and then $270.90 and so on and so forth. So we, we're really cautious and careful about that because it's not just your Medicare premium, but it's also your Part D premium. So Part D increases just like um, the Medicare Part B premium does uh, as your income increases. So you could actually see somewhere in the neighborhood of about a $70 plus increase in your monthly amount of premiums if you earn over those income levels. So we just, we we don't expect you to remember all those figures that I'm throwing at you, but the reason that I'm sharing it with you is so that you know that it can affect it and to just be cautious and aware of that. Um, That it can, you know, it can affect your income pay, your take-home pay, um, if you, if you just, if you take too much income in and like that thousand dollars cost 40% instead of the 22% tax bracket, um, you could lose some spendable income during retirement. And that, 
he has a huge impact in your overall retirement. It doesn't sound like a lot, $40 a month. But when you think about, you know, that's part of groceries or that's part of saving for vacation, it definitely has an impact overall. The other thing that we want people to know about Medicare is that you want to enroll in Part B uh, when you turn 65, unless unless you have coverage through your employer that's at least equivalent, we you will need to enroll in uh, Part B. Otherwise, there's going to be a penalty. So if if you like I said, if you're still working, then it's okay. Your uh, company may require you to enroll in a minimum of Part A, and Part A doesn't cost anything. So um, you know it's it's possible that you don't need to do that, but. I would definitely check out the requirements and make sure that your plan is as good as Part B because otherwise there will be a penalty associated with it. And remember, you can't get Medicare coverage instantly. If you missed, um, you're, you're basically, you have a seven-month window, three months before, one the month of, and three months after, and any time after that, if you don't have comparable coverage, you will have a 10% um, increase uh, of the base premium for life. So it's it really increased the cost significantly if you don't if you don't enroll in the right time. So again, we don't expect you to remember all that. Just remember that if to ask the question of am I enrolled properly at age 65? So now that I've got you so excited about those two items, uh, you may be asking what are the other um, tax traps that you might face in retirement. And one that a lot of people overlook is you must plan how and when you will use your taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-free assets to manage your income and your tax brackets efficiently. I know we've been told over the years, save your tax-deferred money as long as you possibly can. But in reality, sometimes we want you to take that earlier if we've got a bucket that we can fill and that you will be low, paying lower tax earlier in retirement. It's not a straightforward, um, you know, boom, 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 use taxable, tax deferred, and tax free. There is a strategy that we often use with many people depending on what other income they have in retirement, how it's going to be coming in, and what it would look like at age 70 and a half if they waited and pushed all their tax deferred money off. So it's not as cut, clean, clean cut as, as one would hope, right? So, um, so, like I said, you know, we can we can give lots of examples around, um, you know, different ways that people can spend money. But we just want you to be aware that there are some tax traps if you don't aren't conscientiously setting um, setting down in determining what your tax buckets are and where you can uh, where you can pull money from that does not create a heavier tax burden. Um, in some cases, we'll even uh, roll over. And fill up buckets in the tax um, strategy into something called a Roth IRA conversion strategy. So if somebody is already in a uh, 22% tax bucket, but they've got a lot of wiggle room in that tax bucket, we might tell them to convert a portion of their tax-free excuse me, tax deferred money into that bucket, especially if we think that their taxes are going to increase over time due to required minimum distribution. Low income years are really good for Roth conversion. So if you're a small business owner and you have unusually low sales, you may want to do it that way. Or if you have really high expenses, that's another a small business owner that has really high expenses. That's another time that you might want to consider converting 
Um, also, when you have a year that maybe your itemized deductions are significantly high, and remember the SALT, uh, that limitation is at $10,000. But if you had some unusually high medical expenses in any given year, or if you had... Um, you know, something that really drove a lot of tax credits or something like that, that really drove you into a lower tax bracket, then you might want to consider that. And then after retirement, but before receiving social security benefits and pension, we often look to fill up those buckets for Roth conversions as well. So um, that's kind of the the tip for the third strategy is just be on the lookout for um you know, those, those traps that you've read about where you are supposed to push your tax deferred money down the road, it may end up biting you in the butt. Um, the other thing is that we would want you to look at if you have a HSA in your company, we would want you to increase the uh, contribution to your HSA, which is a health savings account that usually works with a high deductible plan. So if you have a health care, a high deductible health care plan, you could max those out. And then it, with some business owners, you might be eligible for the qualified business income deduction, what's called QBI, um, especially after funding a company pension. So it might be something that you're interested in further as well. Uh, we can also talk about charitable giving and, ta- and tax planning because when um, people do get to that magic age of seven and a half, they have to take money out of their retirement account, but there is this uh, charitable giving option that is available to them, to anybody who's interested if you're over that age seven and a half. You can have your required minimum distribution go directly to a charitable organization that you love and want to donate to. And if it goes directly to them, so it, it, it's, it can only be $100,000, which is a lot of money, um, from an IRA per person. It must go directly to the charity, which is really important. And it counts as an RMD, but it's not reported as income, which is very nice. But you don't, of course, get to take the deduction because you didn't actually claim the income on there. So that's something that for folks that really don't want to, they don't need it that to take the required minimum distribution, um, we, we suggest if they're charitable inclined anyways that they consider doing that with their charitable distributions. And quite a few do do that in the upstate New York area. So that is like I said, that's an option that it can save you, you know, tax dollars because you're not claiming it as income. Like I said, you can't write it off, but you never had to claim it into your income either. And with the standard deduction being so high now, it's really challenging to do an itemized deduction with charitable um, charitable contributions helping you from a tax perspective. So if you also are thinking about... Um, I guess, organizing your assets for your family benefits. So for example, if you're thinking you hope to have assets to pass on to your family, um, how does retirement tax planning figure in? Well, again, we want you to organize your assets for family benefits and estate planning matters if that's going to be applicable to you. Um, We can title assets in particular ways, right? So we can... um, 
We can hold them if they're taxable. We can hold them in a joint with rights of survivorship account uh, or a joint tenants with rights of survivorship account. Some people might know it that way. We can have beneficiaries on that, um, what's called the transfer on death. Um, and, and, and we particularly look at that when there's... Um, capital gains, long-term capital gains, large long-term capital gains. We look at different strategies that we can implore based on where your capital gains are. But what if you know that you've got a terminal illness or um, a family member does and maybe they don't have a long period to live? So we could strategize how we're going to structure assets in that case, um, I uh, I think you know talking through that with people f- as an example, um, you know if they left it there, it could create some some gains, uh, especially in married couples, some long term gain situation if they need to pull the money. But there's also options to um, you know spend down, especially if you're going to have big medical expenses and and consider. Um, you know, using the assets in a different way. So let's, let's say that, um, you have a spouse that passes away and you inherit, um, you know, half of a joint account, right? So the step-up basis eliminates part of the long-term gains that might be there, but you'd still have part of those gains as the survivor. So if you sold the account, you're really only going to owe income tax on the gains of your holdings, not the gains where the stepped-up basis hit. Um, So um, if you have those capital gains, you would owe up to potentially 20%, but most people it's 15%. If if we structure things properly, then... um, we like if we moved all of the assets into your spouse's name when they were first diagnosed with a illness, then when he passes away, um, you and I say he only because I'm talking from a woman's point of view, but I say when he passes away, then you would inherit the entire amount with a stepped up basis. So that's a strategy that can be um, considered if there's large capital gains. Um, that are occurring within an account. The other thing that we often see is uh, when um, IRAs are inherited. So, for example, a husband and wife are married, um, husband passes away and leaves the IRA to the wife. That's pretty common. And then they'll have like a contingent beneficiary of of, um, a son or daughter or child or children, right? So, so it, when that happens, um, they have the spouse, the surviving spouse, has the option of rolling it into their name or keeping it in the husband's name as an inherit, kind of keeping it like as an inherited IRA. So the problem with doing the latter and often is that if this, if you then pass away and your child inherits it. The child only has 10 years to take all the required minimum distributions. And so we can't stretch out those distributions over a period of time. However, if the beneficiary had become the owner of the IRA, in that case, the contingent, which is now the primary beneficiary, could actually stretch it out over 
their life expecting so the child could. So I know that's a ton of information that we just shared with you. There's also going to be some information coming up relatively soon on how taxes and long-term care um, kind of play hand in hand. But we do want to be, um, I know we've shared a ton and ton with you and we understand. If you'd like to receive the slides, go to the show notes. Uh, Like I said to you before, I will be recording this on putting it on our resources tab under the videos. You can hop on over there and I'll be recording that relatively within the next few weeks from the release date of this. Um, We hope that this new format is of interest to you. I know there was a lot of technical data in there. Um, You may need to listen to this a couple times. You might need to look at the slides while you're listening at this. But we felt that it was important to get this information out there. And we'd love for you to share your thoughts and questions with us around this topic so that we can uh, do a mailbag episode. uh, And some of it may include this as well as other topics that we've talked about over the last few months. And, um, you know, if you go over and rate us and give us your opinion, we'd be happy to uh, make any changes to the podcast and to include any topics that you'd be interested in. So again, thank you very much for those of you wondering about the wine part of this. Uh, if I were you uh, having to listen to all of this, I would recommend a really good um I guess probably a port to go along with this and something really uh sweet and yet solid. And uh, if anybody knows me, they know that I am a big fan of the Lake Ward port. It's one of the few ports that I actually like from uh, upstate New York. So I'd recommend them if you want to do something a little more fruity, um, which we love fruity this time of year. Maybe try a Pinot Grigio or um, I guess a Pinot Grigio is probably one of the best. And we actually very much enjoy the Bully Hill Pinot Grigio. And uh, we hope that you will as well. And again, we look forward to your feedback. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dive. You can contact Amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear about, feel free to let us know. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next time.